0: Welcome to the Ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. Again, good morning, and uh, if you're visiting, thank you so much for choosing ICA to be a part of your Sunday morning worship. And for those of us who are still here, we uh, and enjoying the heat, Enjoying the sun and enjoying all the other things that come with being in this lovely city. It's so good to have you come back again. I haven't scared you away. And uh, Rafael will probably be happy and say thank you, Troy, for not putting the screws down too tight. I suppose, I don't know. I just have come to love you all so deeply. And uh, like I said earlier, it's kind of with... uh, Mixed emotions that I say it's time to go, Um, but in the will of the Lord, I will be back. Guess what I did last night? I got the app, Babel. I figured I better learn some Spanish so I could at least have some kind of uh, reason to come back and practice. So, praise the Lord for that. All right, as you heard, we are in... uh, John chapter 21 and uh, so if you have your Bibles you can turn there and we're going to look at a few ideas in this passage Um, but I just want to invite the, the Spirit of God to really be our teacher because at the end of the day it's not the words that I say it's the word through the power of the Spirit that transforms your soul and so I really want and pray that God will manifest his glory in and through your lives. And again, I want to thank you, uh, those who chose the songs that we sang today because they were just apropos, very poignant uh, and on target with what we want to address today. So perhaps the the Lord is already preparing souls. Father and God, we open up our hearts to you and ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide this morning, that whatever changes and transformations that need to occur Uh, that you would make it so within our hearts today. Uh, We don't just want to be church attenders. We want to be people that are transformed by the powerful word of God every time we open the book. So speak to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Does Jesus care? Does he care? Uh, I know when we ask that question... The answer is an emphatic absolutely. He cares. We we want to believe that, and we do believe that. Uh, these last few weeks, we've traveled through the life of Peter during our, our time together in a very rapid fashion. So I've covered three and a half years of the life of Peter uh, in three weeks. It is impossible and uh, so you know there were a lot of gaps and a lot of things missing. Um, we started out uh, talking about the deep love of God and, his, and how it is extended toward Him and by, by that toward us and in so doing we saw the size and shape of the love of God and even were surprised by His love. Over time, however, Peter uh, came to see that Jesus was indeed who he said he was. But Peter, for some reason, seemed unwilling to fully identify with Jesus. And perhaps most need, uh, perhaps his most needful time where he needed, Jesus needed the support. Peter willfully denies Christ and by being distant from him, by keeping bad company, and by using perhaps words that did not fully uh, identify him with Christ but in fact isolated him and separated him from Christ himself and now we're in the post resurrection moment in John 21 we're in that time where Christ is alive Peter has seen Jesus now at this point two times prior Uh, so he knows that Jesus is alive and uh, But but Peter is doing something that perhaps most of us do. We we go back to that which we are most comfortable with. He went fishing. And ironically, the thing that he did, the thing that he did perhaps, um, you know, most naturally prior to meeting Jesus, catching fish... He goes out catching, to catch fish. He's out all night. And what does the fisherman catch? Nothing. The one thing that he's good at. The one thing that he's good at. And he failed. He failed. It's interesting, too, as we begin to look at this passage in, in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. That word revealed uh, chapter 21, verse 1, that word revealed is actually uh, in the passage. Chapter 1, uh, chapter 21, verse 1 is in there twice, word revealed. And in verse 14, it's in there again, verse is revealed. Three times, Jesus has revealed himself. And we're going to see that this is the third revelation of Christ, the resurrected Christ, to Peter and the other disciples. We're at the place in this narrative where... We're with purpose and intentionality, Jesus comes along and he is about to restore Peter back to service, full service and ministry. This very act becomes the evidence for Peter that he needed to assure him and to bolster him and, and embolder him and strengthen him so that he could get out and do that which God had called him to do, which he knew he, he was called to do. But having denied Christ three times, he thought there was absolutely no way God was going to take him back in. And Jesus comes along and restores him after three, the, third, well, the third revelation of himself, and now three times he's going to ask him the same repeated question over and over. So let's, let's jump in, and I'm going to just kind of Go over verses four through 15 uh, four through 14 as point number one, and we'll bring that up uh, in just a second. But let's just read verse four, and it says, "Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know what, that it was Jesus. Perhaps uh, I, was, I was awake this morning at about uh, I think it was four or so five. So something like that, and uh, so every Sunday, every Sunday, it's without fail. I'm up at that hour. I'm praying and I'm just enjoying the Lord. And uh, it was dark. It was morning, but it was dark. I suspect that it might have been maybe six o'clock. Very twilight, twilight twilighty. Very, you know, can't quite make out who's on the shore, but certainly light enough to know where the shore is. And this is what was going on in verse four. And out from the, the distance from the shoreline, Jesus said to them, verse five, children, do you have any fish? What an awesome question. Don't you think that's a if you're out fishing, why would why is that a, a, a question? Of course. The expectation would have been, yes we do. But to Peter's surprise, no is the answer. Jesus is surprised, but Peter is not um, at all amused. Verse 6, he said to them, Jesus says, Well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Does that bring any familiarity familiarities with you? Like, this happened before. In Luke 5, you remember? Put your net down on the, on the, go out into the deep, let down your net, and something will happen. It happened before. So I think some, some bells and whistles are starting to ding in Peter's head at this point. Remember, he's, he's gone off. Oh, by the way, he has managed to convince six other disciples to join him in, his, in the cahoot to go off and go fishing. What a powerful man. What a man of strong influence that he was able to convince six other guys. Probably Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Simon. Uh, certainly not Matthew, the tax collector. He, he didn't know anything about fishing. All he knows is how to move the bean counter. You know, fishing. He, he didn't. He not know anything about that. Um, so, so you know uh, uh, the. What's his name? James the the Lesser probably wasn't a part of that process, maybe. Um, There are a couple of others, at least four others didn't participate. But he convinced six of them, and they all went fishing. And here, Peter's out fishing. Jesus asked the question, cast out your net on the right side, and you will find some. And so they cast out their net, and they bring in a hole, verse 7. And this is what I like, verse 7. Then that disciple, that disciple is actually referring to the apostle John. John, being the youngest, always saw Jesus first with his heart. He seemed to, he was the, the, the disciple, the beloved disciple whom Jesus loved, and, and you see that throughout the, the writings of John. But here, here he, he seems to perceive Jesus with his, with his heart. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. After this big hole, he says, It's, it's Jesus on the shoreline. We can't see him, but I know it's him. I just know it. He saw with his heart. And listen to, look at the response of Peter in verse 7. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in. They left the guys bringing the boat in all by themselves. Verse 9, when they got out of the out on land, they saw a coal fire in place and with fish laid out on it and bread. Where do you suppose Jesus got the fish? How did he get the fish? He's Jesus. End of story, right? So he had the fish. And, and verse 10, Jesus said to him, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Come on, you know, tithes and offerings. <laughs> Go bring some of the fish that you just, 153, so at least, you know, 10% of that, what, 15 fish? I don't know. Uh, they brought some of the fish. So Simon, verse 11, so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. This is the ultimate breakfast on the beach scenario. I had an anniversary, 30 Thirty-one years, um, just this last—sorry, um, uh, just this last December. Uh, so I'm coming up to 32 years of marriage now, and um, but uh, I had my birthday here uh, with you all. It was pleasant. The cake was lovely, but my wife said before you go and I know we're probably not going to see each other on your birthday let's have a pre-birthday celebration. I got the pictures to prove I'll show it to you later. So we had a pre-birthday celebration dinner on the beach. She knows her way to my heart man and it it was we had a few of our friends who were around us and we just enjoyed each other on the beach. I can, you know, and the, and the, the, this was dinner time, and so of course the light faded and it got darker. The candlelight was was on, and very romantic. If you're thinking of something really nice for that young special someone, that's a good idea. Dinner on the beach, just the two of you. you make sure it's secluded because there's so many other things going on on the beach. You don't really want to see all that stuff. Beautiful. Breakfast on the beach. Imagine that. With Jesus. Imagine that. Okay, we're not done. Verse 13. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them and said, uh, and, uh, sorry, gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after being raised from the dead. When restoration is about to occur, when God is going to bring you back into fellowship and full fellowship with himself, part of this process are the next three steps that we're going to talk about. The the first one is this idea of repentance, a walk of repentance. And Peter jumped on it, actually. Peter actually went beyond the walk. Remember when he, when John said in verse 7, it's the Lord? What did Peter do? He jumped out of the boat and went after Jesus. I don't know if he was walking on water that day, but he was running fast enough to do it. Because he wanted to see Jesus. He knew his Lord was there. And Peter went running. Repentance is this idea of turning toward something. By default, it's also turning away from something. So Peter, jumping out of the boat, put his back to the boat and put his face toward Christ. That is repentance. That's a turning away from and turning toward something. That's what repentance is. I was a, a, a soldier in the esteemed Bermuda Regiment. You ever heard of them? Nothing much to shake a stick at. Anyway, we, I was in the regiment. I was a part, I, you know, you had to serve. Have three, three years, two months, everybody has to serve. Well, we did when I was coming along, not anymore. Anyway, uh, I was the right marker. I was the right marker. That meant that I was the guy that led off the rest of the soldiers when the sergeant said, Buckle off, quick, march! And I had to get it going. And so when I got it going, they all were in step, and I was in step with the sergeants call, and... And then, I, as we're moving, as we're moving in good British fashion, we're live, quick march, we're marching, and then anyway, all of a sudden it said, "About turn! I can't even do it anymore. And the idea was, you're marching in one direction, and he says, about turn, and you turn in a full 180 and move in the other direction, still marching. That's repentance. That's repentance. We're not going that way anymore, boys. We're going that way. In Luke chapter 24, verse 47, the Bible says that repentance and forgiveness is a part of the gospel message. If you don't tell or invite people to turn from their sin and turn to Christ, you're not, they're not truly coming to Christ. They're, they're making a false profession. You want people to say let that sin go and embrace Christ completely. Repentance uh, is a part of the coming to Christ Uh, turning from sin, And, and the idea is you want your love for God to be so full, overwhelming, that as I said at the beginning of our series, you have this expulsive power of a new affection on the throne of your heart. It's my love for the master, and seeing him draws you to him, and by instinct causes you to shed and relinquish those sins that you so often want to hold on to. And embrace. There's a an old hymn. We don't sing hymns much these days. But a hymn goes like this: Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked flee to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. That's what repentance is. I bring nothing and I pour everything in him and I trust him completely. J.C. Ryle prayed this. He said, Lord, not only save me from the guilt of sin, but send the spirit whom thou didst promise and save me from its power. Make me holy. Teach me to do thy will. He didn't just want to embrace Christ as his savior. He wanted to embrace Christ and be freed from all his sin. So that it was a full frontal movement toward God. Uh, Number two, the second second piece uh, of, of this whole series is this idea of a walk of humility. There's a walk of repentance, a turning to, but there's also a walk of humility. And this is the passage that we read. Uh, in verse 15, and I'm just going to highlight a couple of things here. But, but uh, in verse 15, G, uh, G, uh, Simon, uh, Jesus says to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? That word, obviously, is the word love, agape love. Do you, are you willing to sacrifice everything for me? And, and then Simon responds, yes. And remember we talked about the word "no," and there are two words for "no" in, in the Greek. There's the, the odia, and then there's gnosko, and odia is the word that's being uh, used here uh, by Peter. Yes, Lord, you know that odia means um, you, I, I have an acquaintance. You, you have an acquaintance with me. We have a, uh, I have some knowledge about you, all right? Uh, and then he says, you know that I not agape, filleto you. You know that I filleto you. That means a brotherly love. Of course, I, I love you more than I love these 153 fish that are in my boat and on the shoreline right now. And I also love you more than the six disciples that followed after me. Yes, I love you. You know this. You know that I love you. So this, was, this is what was going on. And so, of course, Peter comes along, uh, Jesus comes along again and says the second time, um, and he said in verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you odia that I phileo you. You know, you know that we have a, 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 some sort of uh, experience with each other. You know cognitively that I love you like a brother. Verse 17, he said to him, a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you fillet, uh, and, and Jesus, with intentionality, changes the word from agape here, and he says, do you phileo me? Do you have a brotherly love for me? He changed the word on it. And he said to him, Lord, you know, odia, everything. You know everything there is to be known. And then he said, you know gnosko. You know, the second know is conosco, you know that is an experiential knowledge. You know that we and, you and I have an experienced relationship together. You know that we, I have experienced you and you have experienced me and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my lamb. And isn't it interesting? He does it three times. And he did this three times for the express purpose of affirming his, re, uh, his restoration. Peter thought that having denied Christ three times, that it was all over for him. In that culture, it was if you did something three times, it was done. Remember when Peter said, um, Lord, how many times should I forgive? Because the people say three times, we should forgive somebody. And so Peter thought he was being very kind and generous. And he said, oh, so shall we forgive seven times? He thought that was above and beyond. And Jesus said, oh, no, 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 Peter not three, not seven, seven times 70. Every moment you forgive. Be prepared to forgive. Oh, that is impossible. Who can forgive that? That's hard. And especially if something has been done to you, you feel affronted, you're going to want to take something out. I'll forgive you once. You know, you say to your kids sometimes as they're growing up, you know, that's one. And That's two. And then or, come here, come here. And then st- 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 stuff happens, right? Jesus affirms for Peter right at this moment. I love you more than you know, buddy. Come back to me. I love you. Notice verse 18, though. Truly, truly, it begins with verse 18. It starts off and says, truly, truly. That phrase, truly, truly, it's a word in the Greek, amen. Amen, amen. We've got amen at the beginning. We usually have amen at the, at the end of our prayer. We've got Jesus saying amen at the front. He says, amen, amen. Amen means, so let it be. Just let it be. This is true, and it will come to pass. Don't you worry. Amen. Truly, truly. Truly, truly. While you were young, you did what you wanted. But when you get old, you're going to do things against your own, things against your own will are going to happen. You're not going to want it to happen. But don't worry. I just want you, Peter, to follow me. This is a walk of humility. Um, I have a 94 year old grandmother whom I am responsible for and I uh, care for her and before we got her a life alert she uh, uh, was in her room about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and she had fallen and we didn't have life alert so we didn't know she had fallen and she was calling out for for somebody and no one heard her she's living with her son but she's on the other side of the house and so he didn't hear her and so she was on the floor for three or four hours Until finally she pulled herself, dragged along the floor, got the phone and called me. Her son is upstairs, but she calls me. My uncle is upstairs, but she calls me. And I went and picked her up and helped her get back to where she needed to be. Sometimes it's not fun getting old. And somebody else is going to start doing things for you. And you're not going to really appreciate it. You, you, you're going to appreciate it, but you, you, you just feel like, you know, you shouldn't do this. I, I should be able to take care of myself. I've been doing this now for so many years. I know how to do it. You don't have to help me. But this is the problem, isn't it? We're all getting old. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was walking, sorry, I'm just... I was walking along here and I said I was praying as I was coming along and they, they're playing basketball and football over there. There was a time in my life where I would have jumped in on those games, no problem. Football, bring it on. As a matter of fact, I represented Bermuda, on the National football Youth Football League. I was a, I was a left fullback. I don't have a cap or a jacket to prove it, but it's true. And I love playing football. I can't do it today. I go over there. All you have to do is do this and pull the ball back. I'm ripped. Oh, I'm old. Things happen to us when we get older. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, when you get old, buddy, you're going you're gonna to do things, go places that you don't want to go. Your job is just to follow me. That was a walk of humility. A walk of repentance is a turning to God. A walk of humility is saying, be it so as you said, Lord, unto me. I accept that. I respond to you and I submit to that. Humility is the denying of yourself of the rights of, uh, de- denying yourself of rights uh, uh, or of uh, your own desires and submitting to the will of God. Peter got it in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. He says, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter got it. In chapter 5 of 1 Peter, he says, clothe yourselves, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves. Peter got it. He got it. He's writing the book now. He says, humility is the key. He got it. Humility is that quality that, that should characterize every follower of Christ's life. We should walk in humility. It's a shame that we don't. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, Jesus says, uh, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Jesus laid it down for us. He came to serve, not to be served. He didn't come so that he could have his his uh, his, his plate full all the time. No, he came to give them two loaves, uh, two fish and uh, fish and, and bread. He came to feed the 5,000 and heal the blind and the sick. He didn't come so that they could give unto him. Jesus demonstrated what it means to live a life of humility, to walk this way. I like what C.S. Lewis said, and I got the quote up there. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I love that quote. You know, we live in a world perhaps where people are suffering from all sorts of issues like um, um, low self-esteem. Perhaps they've been uh, maligned or battered or bruised, and so people have this this view of themselves that is that is perhaps unbiblical. Certainly, sinful. But I noticed the other day that um, I was watching uh, these two girls uh, with their cell phones, and they were taking selfies. And I (laughs) said to myself, she don't have a problem loving herself. She, don't have a, she has an over-inflated self-image. I do think we should have a view of ourselves that's healthy and sober. Okay. But the problem with pride is that we think too much of ourselves. We need to actually be humble and think less of ourselves. And I think C.S. Lewis got the point. The third point that I want to mention here is... This after, for restoration to, be a, to, to occur, there needs to be a walk of humility, a walk of repentance, excuse me, and a walk of humility. But then this third point is a walk of gratitude. And notice in verse 20, Peter turned uh, and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also uh, leaned back against, against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Any doubts as to who this might be? We got it, right? The little John, right? We know this. This is the one, right? And so, Peter, if you can just view this, Jesus and Peter are walking down the beach after breakfast. Breakfast is over now, and they're walking down the beach together, and, and Jesus is, is, is kind of restoring him. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, yes. Peter, do you, do you really love me? Pe- Peter, do you really love me? And, and John perhaps is beginning to sense that this is a conversation that needs to happen between those two and not me. So he draws back from the group, from Jesus and Peter as they're walking. So he's behind uh, somewhat. And he's just off it, behind in the distance. And so Jesus just told Peter, buddy, be humble because you're going to go places. When you're old, blah, 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 this is going to happen to you. And so <laughs> Peter says... Um, Wait a minute. What about that guy? Now come on. Come on. Be honest. You're, you've been given a particular blessing of whatever sort and, and you're, you're happy with it and you like it. It's wonderful. You're thankful for it. You're grateful. But then in the back of your heart you're thinking, well, what do they get for Christmas? <laughs> What, what, what present did you give them? If you gave me this and I'm really happy, what about that one? It never happened to you at Christmas time, and you're giving gifts and your children, you know, you, you give one gift and then they said, "Ooh!" But well if you got that, I'm definitely going to get something really special. And I think, I think Peter, Peter was was kind of tempted to lean back into his old life, verse 21, and when Peter saw him he said to Jesus, well what about this man? And Jesus said to him if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? I asked you to follow me that was it, you follow me, don't worry about the next guy, and of course the story is that Jesus was talking about Peter's death and what kind of death he was going to die and with, with uh, the uh, young John, it was assumed that John was going to live forever, and John made it clear, no, I'm not going to live forever, I'm just going to live perhaps a little longer than you, Peter, because you're going to die. Tradition tells us, actually, that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not want to die like his Lord. He thought he was, he was too, he, he could not. I mean, this is the absolute humility of Peter now at this point where he says, don't, kill me the same way they killed my master upside down gratefulness well first of all the bible says in second timothy that in the last days a lack of gratefulness is going to what characterizes our society people are going to be ungrateful unthankful for what they have and so what Jesus is teaching us here is that we need to learn to be thankful and to be filled with gratitude for the things that we do have. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, and he got it again. Peter got it. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his glory, eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So let it be. Peter, just relax. Just learn to be thankful for the good things that Jesus has done for you. And the point is, is that we need to learn to walk with gratefulness and be thankful for the things that God has blessed us with. Perhaps Peter was thinking of, of Matthew chapter 20 verse six, 1 through 16 when Jesus gave the story, the parable of the, 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 the businessman who decided to uh, hire people on his job and he hired this guy let's say for $20 at the beginning of the day. And he's, the work still needs need to be done. And so as he's going through the day, he hires another guy for $20. And it he, he keeps going on. And he gets to the end of the day, an hour before knockoff time. And a guy comes and says, can I have a job? And he says, sure. And he gives him the job. And he says, that'll be $20 for the day. So he starts paying the guy at the, at the back end $20. And so the guy at the front end says, well, if he got the 20 and he only worked an hour, I've been working all day. What's he going to give me? And so, of course, the guy gets the 20, he says, well, hey, I've been working all day. You gave him 20, you gave him, you gave him me 20. What's the point? He says, what is that to you? I am the generous king. I am the gift giver. Don't you worry about what other people get. Just appreciate and value the gift that you and I, that I had given to you already. Don't be ungrateful, be grateful. You got a job, kid. So this restoration, coming back to Jesus, involves a walk of repentance, a walk of humility, and a a walk of gratitude, being thankful for what we have. It's more about the journey, really, than it is about the destination. Uh, You know, I'm not, by the way, for, for humility, if you said, you know, my goal is to be humble, my goal is to be humble, the minute you admit that you are, you're not. So you—that you, this is humility—is one of those things that you do not talk about. You just do it, because the minute you say, ah, "So good job, I'm a humble guy," <laughs> guess what? You just admitted to. So you have to walk this You got to go back and repent for your sin. Now you got to repent. It's humble. Be grateful. It's this journey as we go through our Christian experience. What do, you, what do you have to lose? What do you lose when you trust Christ as your Savior? What do you lose? Probably the better question is, what do you gain? What do you get? I want to close with perhaps uh, a story you may or may not have heard of this man by the name of Polycarp. Ever heard of Polycarp? Polycarp was, uh, was, uh, was the the second bishop of the church in Smyrna. In fact, many uh, uh, theologians believe that the, the John wrote to the uh, angel at Smyrna and Polycarp was the one to whom he was writing to in Revelation chapter 3. Chapter 4. and uh, anyway... I like Polycarp because Polycarp was born on, um, sorry, was martyred on February the 22nd. February the 22nd is an important day for us because that was the day my son, Nicholas, was born. And had I known about Polycarp then, I wouldn't have called him Nicholas, I would have called him Polycarp. And Nicholas doesn't like me telling this story because he likes his name, Nicholas. Polycarp? Have you ever heard of a Polycarp? Let me tell you about Polycarp, though. Polycarp was was the direct a direct disciple of the Apostle John in the year 156 AD. 156. So Polycarp was a disciple of John the Apostle. John died about 102 AD and Polycarp was, was alive during that time. Just incredible. So now Polycarp is an old man. Polycarp went to Rome to, uh, to uh, challenge the, the uh, priest that uh, they were teaching heresy. And so he was defending the church. Polycarp is now 86 years of age. This is the other reason I like him. Because even though you're old, you could still take a stand for Christ. And not boy, anyway, Polycarp is 86 years old. And Polycarp is being asked now, denounce Christ and receive Caesar as God and the Pope as the representative. He was asked this. And Polycarp wrote these words, 86 years have I served him, and he's done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Just powerful, powerful statement from this old man, 86 years of age. And then... While he's about ready, they, they decide they're going to throw him to the lions, throw him to the wolves. And, and he says, and, and, and the, the priest says, No, no, we can't throw him to the wolves because uh, we're outside of the time frame for that. In other words, we've already given the lions uh, something to eat. They're no longer hungry, so he won't die. So we can't give, it to, give him the. We will burn him at the stake. We will burn him. Polycarp. They were getting ready to nail him to the post, to the stake. They were going to nail him. Polycarp said, don't nail me. Don't nail me. He says, "Uh, God will give me the strength to bind myself to the stake. I will burn for an hour. But you are ignorant of the flames that will burn for eternity. And then he said, why delay any longer? Get on with it, mate. Put me at the stake. Do what you wish. And the story goes on like this. They lit the flame, and the flame grew up around him like a cathedral. And Polycarp, having bound himself to the stake, was singing hymns in the middle of the flame, worshiping Jesus, whom he loved deeply. And as he was worshiping him, they noticed that he wasn't burning. He wasn't dying. He was, not, he was like the three Hebrew boys in the fire in Daniel chapter 4. He wasn't burning. And this was a huge flame and they couldn't understand it. And so finally the, priest, the, the high priest said, hey listen, kill him. Get a, a spear and stab him. And so they jabbed him with the spear through his heart and the blood that poured out of his body put the flames out. it was so overwhelming they could not understand what just men won. Polycarp in life lived for Jesus 86 years and then in death glorified him even more by saying I bind myself he has done me no wrong why would I take myself off of this if he if this is the way I get to glorify my king then let it be and he died at the stake for the glory of God you and me and I will I say me more probably than you I don't like pain, suffering, or struggle. And I pray all the time, Lord, if if you call me to suffer, give me the grace to do it because I don't have the capacity. God called Peter to suffer, and Peter did suffer, but he represented him. What is God calling you to do? What is he calling for you? you know coming to jesus doesn't make everything right coming to jesus makes you right to be a son and daughter of god for heaven it doesn't fix everything else around you but it certainly fixes you and sets you on a course for heaven you don't you don't want to live for that you don't want him after all he's done for you do, do you, do you not see the amazing love of God for Peter from the beginning to show him how deeply he loved him to Peter saying, I deny him. How could he? What was he thinking to now Peter being fully restored and embraced by God and saying, son, just repent, come back, just walk in humility and just be grateful for what I've done for you. But know this, know this. I will receive glory from your life because I am king. And that's what he wants from your life. As the king, whatever it takes. And I can tell you that I'm at the back of the line. If they're throwing bullets, you go first. (laughs) Because I'm afraid. I need the grace of God to overwhelm me. You may never face that kind of struggle in your life. But perhaps you may face, I don't know, financial woes maybe. Maybe health problems. Maybe family um, breakups. You know, families are not in harmony. That may be the greatest amount of struggle that you may have to endure. Don't give up on Jesus. Trust Him in the middle of it all, Father and God. I thank You for this opportunity to share with the brethren the great, wonderful truths of Your Word. And each one of these points, for example, is a sermon all on its own. So we really didn't do it justice to break it up. But help us, Lord, to live our lives day by day in full repentance with You. Help us to live and walk with humility and help us, Lord, to be grateful for every good gift you have given to us, including the gift of your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Ministry of the International Christian Assembly, a ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.icatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.